Coming to you from the last video store in the universe. It's Binge Movie 166. I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are most worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank the top grossing movies of 2004, 10 through 6. I'm here with somebody who travels in similar circles as me, but our circles have never intersected. Are you ready to intersect? Drew from Real Fields. I'm, I'm more than ready. I, I put on fresh underwear today. Oh, yes. Yes. You can't dock without a pair of fresh underwear. I've stunned you into silence already. You have. You have. <laughs> All I'm saying is I see what's behind your head. Our audience can't see that, but I see what's behind your head. And permission to board, Drew. Permission to board. Permission to yes, board binge my, movies. My, yes. Warp speed ahead. My, my Star Trek. Uh, yeah. Uh, wall, uh, wall Star art. Trek wall art. That can only mean one thing. You're a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> You're a very lonely podcaster. <laughs> no, no, no. The secret is all podcasters are lonely. Ah, oh, there we go. There yeah, yeah. Unless you're a grifter. If you're a grifter and you're only podcasting as another way of selling uh, unli- uh, unregulated supplements on unsuspecting marks, mm. then you're probably not lonely because you're you're probably living in a rented mansion and uh, you probably have a, a bevy of sex workers around you at any given time. But if you're an average person who has a podcast, um, you're you are lonely. So yes, yeah. <laughs> 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 that that reminds me like i when i was uh i think when i was about like 18 i had a, a buddy come over and we were going to be practicing uh callbacks and shout outs for the rocky Horror yeah. picture show and i had a deck of magic the gathering cards just kind of sitting on my on my countertop and he walked in and he saw that and he picked it up and i'm like oh it's magic do you play magic and he's all like yeah yeah and he kind of like thumbed through it and he said like this says you're a level 34 virgin all right <laughs> <here we go." laughs> no you just Spiraled through, you're like, was you were getting ready for a Rocky Horror Picture Show? <laughs> I know. Like, I saw my Magic the Gathering cards. Drew, you're a podcaster. You're a podcaster. One of us. One of us. Google gobble. One of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am. I'm going to task you with something, Drew, uh, at the end of mm. this. And I, if I don't forget, okay. so please remind me uh, by the end of this episode what I'd like you to do for me. It's a big ask, okay? but I think you can handle it. I think okay. you're up to the task. All right. So the movies we're talking about this week are Ocean's 12, Shark Tale, Troy, Meet the Fockers, The Day After Tomorrow. When did Hollywood collapse? Was it 2000, 2002, oh 2003, 2004? Because I've been doing the top-grossing movies of the 2000s. And um, now... I, I, yeah, I've been following along. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, now I remember why nobody has, other than Lord of the Rings, very much nostalgia for this era of film history. <laughs> and I've always said, and I don't, I didn't create this. Uh, it's kind of a you know widespread thought process, but like if you go to the early part of just about any decade in Hollywood history, whether it's you know the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Like the first few years of that decade, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. 
<laughs> the movies are just like, that's a movie. Okay. All right. And there's always outliers. There's always diamonds in the rough or outliers or instant classics. They're testing. They're, they're testing Correct. the waters. Yes. Really. And I don't know why. I don't know why it's around those decade shifts because that's just, those are arbitrary numbers. Like what, what's the difference between 1989 mm. and 1990? I don't know. It was the Gregorian calendar shifted. That's all it is. But it seems to be that Hollywood kind of always loses its way at the start of a, of a decade. And we of course are in now 2024, we're in the start of another decade. And it seems as if we are going through this again, where now we're seeing superhero fatigue and the collapse of the superhero movie, and maybe the collapse of the blockbuster. We are here again at the start of another decade where people are like, we don't know how to make movies anymore. <laughs> in, the, in 2000 to, I'm going to guess, minimum 2005, maybe 2008, which is pretty much the whole decade at that point. I don't know that people knew how to make movies anymore. Do you... Do you, you can feel free to disagree. Feel free to disagree. No, 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 no. It's, I don't think it's a sense of disagreeing. I think it's where you have the hype of something that did really, really well early on in the decade. And even though if you take something like the 80s where it was constant like weirdness and let's try yeah. this. And even at the tail end of the 80s, you're still having weirdness that almost works. But when the 90s hit, they're like, let's have a shift. Let's leave this yeah, behind. Yeah. And let's try something new. And even now in the early 2000s, you had like really successful things happen yeah. early on. And though like 2003, but now like 2004, 2005, they try it again and they realize it's not going to like slowly coast down. It's going to drop. And I, I think some of the ideas that might seem really neat, it, it's, it's a one and done. And that's where it should have. How many core Lord of the Rings cast members are on this week? In a, in, a, in a movie this week. I mean, there's so many. Orlando Bloom, obviously, he's got pirates at the same time. Orlando Bloom shows up. Ian Holmes shows up. There's like, all of a sudden, you start seeing, okay, even with Troy, it's like, okay, it's a it's a epic. It's obviously based on the Iliad and in kind of history, sort of. But um, <laughs> it's, um, it's obviously still kind of trying to be Lord of the Rings, even though it's not fantasy, but it's definitely like that movie got green lit because of gladiator and Lord of the Rings, right? Like that just seems evident. Oh no, no. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you, you do try to get this aspect of like, not so much fellowship, but definitely two yes. towers, especially when the Rohirrim is coming up over the hill to save Helm's deep. That is the massive expanse of yes. Troy landing on the beach and you're all like let's see the numbers let's see that cgi size go further and further in the distance but yeah it's it's these epics that i mean they still continued on like i mean gladiator troy the immortal uh the eagle like yes. you have these little epics that continued on and it's neat i don't get me wrong i love like historical epics and historical battles and things and such but if it's not I don't know if it's not going to kind of hit the mark and if you're going to kind of deviate so far from either history or even in the case of Troy, sometimes with mythology, I don't know. I think some folks are going to notice and it's going to, it's going to dissuade them from not trying to, uh, I don't know, maybe. Get <laughs> well, we'll get deeper into Troy itself <laughs> a little later in the show, but uh, yeah, I just thought, I, 2003 was not good, right? That was not, I, I, I did not like that movie year. There were 
good movies, but as far as like the top grossing movies, it's like, man, this is this is none of this is what I remember it to be, really. And then I was I was actually looking at the top grossing films like for 2003 and 2004, and one stuck out, and I was like, oh, I don't even remember that being like the top grossing. I understand why it's top grossing, mm. but I did not remember it being there, and I think you might know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, Ooh, well, there's plenty of options, in my opinion. All right, let's kick off 2004 with a sequel. Boy, that, that's just, man, that we just sort of gave in in 2003, like, sequels, that's the ticket. Um, 2004's Steven Soderbergh, Return of the Whole Gang's Back Together, Ocean's 12, which currently has a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, I was once in a vault while I was being robbed. The only thing riskier than stealing $160 million is having to pay it back. With interest. It just hurts. What we do know is we need a high-paying job. You're doing recon work on our anniversary? I assume that you have some kind of a plan to get him out. Okay, then. Good. I don't even understand what happened in there. Ocean's 12. Look for it on DVD. Ocean's 12 was directed by Steven Soderbergh. It was written by George Nolfi. It was a triumphant return of all of the above because we covered Ocean's 11 uh, in the not-too-distant past. It was released December 10th, 2004. On a budget of $110 million, it made $362.9 million. See if you can follow along at home, folks. After ripping off a crook, a gang of con men has to commit a heist to get back what they stole, but a burglar keeps beating them to the punch to impress a legendary thief. This is the only heist movie that made me realize that Eddie Gordo from Tekken was really the treasure all along. <laughs> one of us, one of us. <laughs> the highest praise that I can give any film is that when I'm watching it, I do not write a single note. Mm. Now, that, I, I, I say that, but it actually could be the lowest <laughs> critique or highest critique I could give a movie as well. Like, I have no notes. This is absolutely terrible. But it's hard for me to say a movie is not successful to me subjectively. If the entire time mm -hmm. I'm watching it, I'm actually engrossed in the movie. I'm not thinking about the mechanics, the production, the script the the onset uh uh Melu that created the final product i'm not thinking about the corporate interest and shareholders who had input and all that sort of stuff if i'm, if I'm actually just looking at the vistas i'm just looking at the environment i'm just looking at the the scenes and enjoying them and engrossed in the story it's very hard for me to say that it's a bad it's a bad movie so for me subjectively and i have no notes on oceans 12 i came to the series way later than anybody else i saw the original not the original but i saw oceans 11 the obviously the remake and um when it first came out and it was okay whatever and it was fleeting and it left my mind and i never really followed along with the series and then years and years later after it, people stopped giving a shit about these movies they were kind of just always on tv for a while mm. and so i think they had like three like the trilogy like in a marathon or something i was like oh, i'll just watch it because what else am I doing on a Sunday, right? And um, the movie plays, and it goes in the next one, which would be Ocean's 12, and it goes in the next one. And 
I enjoyed the entire experience. And very quickly, these movies have become like some of my favorite, like hangout movies. I don't really mm-hmm. care about the plots. I don't really care what they're trying to do. Some of it's cool. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's really cool. But just this ensemble, this weird ensemble they put together in beautiful subtropical European climates or subtropical uh, American climates in the case of Vegas, uh, I, I, uh, I just watch it. I enjoy what they're doing. And I totally miss the bandwagon of everybody saying that this movie was a disappointing sequel. It jumped the shark with the Julia Roberts being Julia Roberts, you know, Tess playing Julia Robertson. I totally missed all of that conversation. And I just came to it as honestly as you can and enjoyed these movies. And I was worried now that I'm coming back to it with a more critical eye for this show, that I would enjoy it, but it's two hours and six minutes of pure entertainment to me. It feels like I'm going on vacation and I have no notes. Uh, it's not a perfect movie. I wouldn't even <laughs> say it's a great, it's a great movie. I think it's a borderline. If I was, you know, it's an okay movie, but somehow it overcomes its okayness <laughs> by pure charisma. Yeah. And it's not as good as oceans 11 as from a movie standpoint, yeah. but it's just great to hang out with these people again. I, I would agree. I, I think you have the aspect of, you know, from back in the day, you have like the Magnificent Seven quality yeah. of this film, where you are getting a hodgepodge group of really nobodies, but anybody's, yeah. and you are making this work. Because when you have the ensemble cast that works for a film like this, it, it speaks to everybody. You, you don't necessarily speak to just, you know, person A, and they, they love everybody in the group. No, because B is going to identify with you know, the, the, the computer guy, yep, yep. you're going to have like me. I love watching Saul getting into all of his characters yeah, right? and, you know, becoming the doctor uh, or, you know, like sweating through his suit in oceans yep. 11. And uh, you, you start to really kind of appreciate the fact that they're taking on characters. You are watching them become something different. Each of them is a piece of that. Yes. Puzzle. And that's what I love. And I love also, like, you're also learning a little bit about the, the heist, like, lifestyle and history. Like, when they're back at the warehouse after everything goes awry, and they're like, well, I mean, we could do, we could do Patty Whack. No, we don't have enough people. What about Little, little Dog Sue? Well, we don't have a, a tiger, nor do we have a calzone. We can't make it work. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, like you're, right, right. you're, getting, you're getting all of these little, <laughs> yeah. like, names for different heist like things. Like the sting, yeah, it's hilarious. like, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's it's yeah. hilarious that way. Yeah. And I again, there is there is a charm about it. And you have a charm with all the different characters. Um, I, I think the only thing that was kind of to its downfall was that like now it's and you see it in other films as well, kind of like with um, now you see me and now you see me, too, where like they did great in the first one. But now in the second one, someone's trying to beat them. At yeah. Their own game. yeah, yeah, yeah. And. And uh, it, it, it's not that it becomes a bad thing, but it is something where you do notice you're like, okay, this is kind of getting played. This is kind of getting played. I'm still having fun, but it's getting played. Yeah. I mean, it makes an interesting choice of like tying it back around to the, the, you know, Terry Benedict thing. And the thing about the, the Benedict stuff on the one hand, I kind of appreciate the fact that like the first movie is they get away with it. Like they outsmart him 
And in a sense, though, the joy of that first movie is that the entire time they outsmarted the audience, right? Like the entire time is like, right. you were, you were, you were one of the marks sitting there. You thought you knew, you know, the slight of, sure. you thought you saw, you know, nothing up the sleeves, but the whole thing was a sleight of hand, even towards the audience. I thought that's the genius mm-hmm. of that first movie. Uh, <clears throat> and so the idea then of him sort of, of course, he's not going to let this go. And of course, right. like even Tess is like, you got your insurance money. Like you didn't lo- really lose anything, but he lost his pride. He lost his dignity. Right, right. It's, he lost. It's the, it's the principle. He lost yeah. power. Yeah. He lost her. Yeah. He didn't really care about her. He, that was the whole point. He cared about the money, but he lost her. And so it's like he lost face. And so he's got to right. get his, get a, get his revenge or whatever. And so, like, I think that's a great setup for the second movie. But you're right. Once you bring in another thief who's going to, you know, I'm going to try to beat Danny Ocean and I'm going to do this. And it's like it gets that's actually the more they include him, uh, that their rival, the kind of the more convoluted the movie starts to become. Like, it's moving at a pretty good pace. Sure. And you're like, ah, oh, man, this is like just kind of feels like a we're picking up right where we left off in the best way possible. This is great. And then, yeah, then we get more and more involved in like his shenanigans and what he's doing. And I'm like, I, I don't really give a shit here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it, when, when he goes to confront every single one of the people, I do love like all their faces yes. where like he shows up to the wedding and they're just like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh. see, all of that is great. They, yeah. That montage of Benedict they, finding each and every one of them. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. The, I, it, it is. It's still funny. It's, it's kind of quirky, especially with the brothers. Yes. Like, you know, you can see the drama that are there, but then the face of like, God, <laughs> and then, and then Saul, Saul still working his magic. He's all like, Oh, I'm sorry. So there's a problem with your credit card. Oh, Oh, Mr. Benedict. Oh, he, he's an old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like inside, he's just like, shit. shit yep. Shit, yep. Shit. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think that goes into what you're talking about though, is like that aspect of it is like, that gives us an insight into like the, the, the con life, right. Of like the after day, like, right. how do you, how do you deal with the fallout and when do you decide, ah, the hell with it. And, you know, and like, they all kind of come to the resolution of, well, it, you know, he obviously knows where we are. And if he wanted us dead, we all already be dead. So we're probably, he's probably not going to kill us yet. So how do we get ourselves out of this? I think that's a really good inciting incident. Um, but then, yeah, when we start weaving in, you know, all this other sort of stuff, it, it, it does become discombobulating a little bit, mm. but I, I kind of disagree with the consensus or at least what I think the consensus is. I think, um, I'm torn about it. It doesn't live up to what the bit could have been. No, no, I, I, I agree. But Julia Roberts I've... being Julia Roberts <laughs> is a really clever stroke. It, it makes me laugh now, but also now kind of recently with seeing more uh, video updates of Bruce. So it's really nice to see That's Bruce also actually true. acting and like, yes. and, and like watching Bruce and you're like, Oh, okay. Go- oh, you're still you. That's, that's so that's that. So yes. I, I thought like, the exact same thing where I was like, cause I forgot that he was the opposite in the scene and he showed up and it's right. and even if, even, even prior to us being aware of his illness, mm-hmm. even probably even prior to his diagnosis, 
like later in this decade, later in the 2000s, he kind of starts sleepwalking through. He's not here, even though he's playing himself. He's he's he brings that unique Bruce Willis charm to the screen even here. And so it it works. And it was very heartwarming to see not just him kind of healthy, but also him trying, you know? Sure. And but the thing is, is like it's essentially after a while, just kind of one joke. It, yeah, ne- it never yeah, lives I, up to the height of how they didn't get the the level of comedy and entry out of it. I think you could have, you know what I mean? And I, and I, yeah. And I think a lot of like, when you finally see exactly how, um, I know I can't think of his name, but the, but the guy who's one upping them, the Fox, yeah, the Fox. Yeah. Um, so I, you don't necessarily see exactly, or at least I don't remember how he's, getting that step ahead we know that he's like observing and he has film on them and we know that like he has an inside you know source that's a for good this. point but but like how does he know which warehouse it is how does he find that like i i mean there's there's the way that you can understand like you have you know back alley like source materials and you can find where people are that's that's fine but how like well, th- if you're gonna set it up that he is better i want to see him that's a better. really good point yeah 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 that's a really good point because part of the joy of the, this particular series of films is we're not just going to do the thing we're going to show you how we did it and they never right. show us right. how he does stuff he just does it right 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 yeah you're right and so it's like yes yes because even if it's implausible and- like we're raising the pylons uh, you know, of a building, uh, uh, you know, in Italy, uh, it, it like that's ridiculous, but they show you how they do it. Right. And so it's like, yeah, if he's going to be better than them, even if, even if it's in the third act, we need a curtain reveal of, and that's how he was beating them. But, but, but this is how they were actually beating him. And we get that part of it. We get the part of it like, right. Oh no, the whole thing was a rope of dope against him. And that stuff's cool. But we never see how he is, how he gets the best of them. You're right, and that would have that would have added some enjoyment. Yeah, you probably would have had to have done that earlier yeah. in the movie, in the second act, and in the third act. You reveal, oh well, here's how we outdid what you did to outdo us. <laughs> I I think it's a lot. There's a there's a lot of uh, moments where it's it's the. Uh, Gotcha yes, kind of thing in in the movie where you know, like, oh, they've all been arrested. Oh, I'm sorry, it's just Matt Damon's parents. Oh, but uh, we 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 got the stuff out of the safe. Oh, well, we tilted the house. Oh, but it's not really this that this actual egg. Oh, you got the fake one. It's it's a lot of this yeah. kind of like tug yeah. and 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 giving back and forth where it, it's enjoyable, but it's it's almost like to go back to like you know Return of the King. It's like, you know, the movie fades and you're like, yes, brilliant. Oh, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, there's more. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love the the twist on them being arrested in that whole scene and like oh yeah. because, because since since the first movie, it's always been about His like parents. Well, you're not gonna tell yes, my parents, exactly. are you? like you're not gonna do this yeah. and that. Because then you kind of realize like, oh, they're just as shady as their kid. But you also realize that it's the parenting of like, we know what you're doing, son, but 
we need to keep government face. <laughs> well, it's just the idea that they're proud of him for being they're grifters and they're proud of him for being a grifter, but he's like trying to make a name for himself, you know? And so it's like, right. he's in the shadow, <laughs> like he's a con man in the shadow of his con parents. Like it's just, it's and, and Damon is pitch perfect of like how he's just kind of like just desperate enough. Like he's so wanting that approval. Uh, and then just to have like, I don't, it, it, it's the sort of like desperate need for approval that a, somebody who has been constantly pampered and their parents love has, where you think if you shower your child with love, that's going to make them a more secure person. But he's like, it's, it's, it's like, well, he, he has an attitude that kids sometimes get where it's like, well, of course you say that you're my mom. You have to say I'm smart. You have to say I'm good looking. You have to say whatever, you know, I want somebody outside to validate me. And he carries that right. in, the, in his performance in all of these movies. And it's pretty great. It's it's almost a little bit of like DiCaprio and Catch Me If You yeah, Can. Yeah, yes. Where where like where like you know Walken is coming into the bar and he's all like, "Where are you going to tonight? Where's my son yeah. going?" Like, <laughs> 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 it's like yeah. it's like I'm gonna be proud of you. It's all like, but you know, like, but you're you're not that little mouse churning the yeah, right. You're not this <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> what is brad pitt's worst performance mm. i don't think it's this movie oh my gosh i don't no 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 no. i i wouldn't say it's this movie um god i don't know i would need to like really kind of like look through i for the longest time i wasn't a um a huge fan i think the first time i watched um 12 monkeys because i'm all like okay we get it you're crazy but like you're, 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 you're tipping the crazy. I don't like, like that movie. That's the funniest watch. thing is I, I haven't watched it since no. the nineties and I don't think I'm ever going to go back. I, I haven't watched it in a long yeah. time. And it's mainly because it's mainly been because of like Brad Pitt's like over yeah. the top, uh, kind of like kookiness. And all the while again with Bruce, it's just like, dude, he's just trying to save the world. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, many moons ago, I posed, I, I posed the question on, um, on, social media and like what is brad pitt's worst performance and uh a listener named james wallace said it was is meet joe black in particular the scene where he does jamaican patois and that's 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 mm. a rough scene uh and <laughs> pete from middle class film class said uh probably his, not his worst but his least liked brad pitt performance was him in cool world cool world is okay, fucking so abysmal <laughs> Cool world, I I I do not like, but I have now watched so many times because I reviewed it on another friend's show, and then I had to watch and review it again. And now I've come to a point where I'm like, okay, it's cool world. I get it. I get it. <laughs> no, no, but no. <laughs> that that everything about cool world <laughs> drives me up a fucking wall. <laughs> I hate I, cool world. I. I, I think more so, um, and I'll make a point of this, like when we talk about Shark Tale, I really appreciate certain things where it's like in the background and you can really like some actual aspects that are not the acting where like in Cool World, you look in the background, and you're like, that's a really neat painting. 
Like that is a nice backdrop. Like the the style and the color is all neat. But then people start acting, and then you have rotating gifts of like background characters. Oh yeah, oh just, uh, like doing the exact same uh, thing. And not only that, but they they take the random cell animation and they'll slap the cell on top of the actors. So there's cartoons uh, that like the proportions aren't right, and yeah. the ratios aren't right, and the angles aren't right, and all of a sudden you have like cartoons floating in midair that are just like cycling through three sheets of cell animation. And you're like, what the hell is this? Why is this on the screen right now? No explanation. It's a fucking mess. It's a fucking mess of a movie. Um, it's it's weird, yeah. I don't think that's his worst performance. I think his worst performance is coming up on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as Ocean's uh, 12 goes, it's not as good as the original. But I'm still going to give it an 8 out of 10, which is kind of high for me. Uh, just because I like the vibes, man. I just like the vibes. And it's not really good criticism. I don't really care. I enjoy the vibe. And um, by default, it actually makes it my number one. It's the best of the week. I'm adding to the short list. Ocean's 12. I I give it a uh, a 7 out of 10, and it also makes my uh, my top. We didn't have a lot to choose from this week. <laughs> no. No. Speaking of, so to move on to 2004 <laughs> Shark Tale. Which is a movie I didn't even remember ever existing. <laughs> and, it's, it, and it's currently has a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa! A shark slayer! He's fearless. <laughs> He's ferocious. <laughs> He's faking. Just like we practiced. When you punched me in the crowd. Was, <laughs> From the creators of Shrek. Will Smith. Sharks are coming to get me! Jack Black. What's the matter with you? I'm a vegetarian. Oh, no. Shark Tale. This film is not yet rated. Starts Friday, October 1st, everywhere. Shark Tale was directed by Vicky Jensen. Bebo Bergeron. That sounds like a fake name. Rob Letterman. It was written by Michael J. Wilson and Rob Letterman. It's a triumph return of Will Smith. Last seen in something. Robert De Niro. Last seen in Meet the Parents. Renee Zellweger. Last seen in... Probably Jerry Maguire, Angelina Jolie, last seen in Tomb Raider. I would I would venture to guess Jack Black, last seen in God damn, he showed up in something. Don't remember. Would it have been Shallow Hal? We haven't covered Shallow Hal. Haven't covered it. No. It is the triumphant debut <laughs> of Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Okay, this one was released September 10th, 2004, in a budget of $75 million. It made $374.6 million. Finding Nemo, who was a degenerate gambler, hiding from his bookie. <laughs> this is a backwards, corky Romano that got <laughs> caught up in a Shark Week fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> that, you, that's like a hat on a hat. That's a reference on a movie. <laughs> Corky Romano to reference Shark Tale, and nobody knows what either one of those things are. Martin Scorsese, after this movie, cannot say shit about superhero movies you. or what Thank cinema you. is. I love the man's work. I've never gotten into the fray about all of his comments and the online film Twitter tit for tat that goes back and forth and all this sort of shit and Russo Brothers box office, blah, blah, blah. I don't give a fuck. The man has lost substantial credibility to tell me what is what a good script is. If he read this piece of shit and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back into acting <laughs> with this 
fucking movie. The bombardment of fish puns in the first 90 seconds of this movie sent me spiraling Drew into a full scowl. The only joke, the the only joke that even remotely lands in the entirety of this movie is the sushi joke. The fish who opens a sushi restaurant and it's empty and it's, he's just standing there like, where is everybody? That's funny because it's subtlety, I guess, in a movie that has doesn't know what subtlety is. To faces look yes. like the actors. Will Smith is a fish. Oh. Uh, doing fucking shuck and jive stuff from like the like bad 90s UPN comedies. And this is like instead of homeboys in outer space, this is homeboys in the deep blue sea. This this is offensive to watch. I was like, who who was this for? What slang but is this? But it's okay. It, a lot of white fish can't do it. It's okay. Oh, it's fucking terrible. God, it's here's, here's the, I I love puns. Okay, I love puns. They're punny. I'll leave. I'll start a pandemic. But <laughs> there is so much in this movie where it's all like, "Hi, I'm Katie Current," and I'm like, "Oh, that's cute." Okay, do we need to continue it? Yeah, we got to do. Give me some high fin, low fin. Like, oh, crispy kelp. And I, it, there's, it, it's no, too much. They point to the puns, though. That's is, the thing. They don't they just do. lay the puns out there. They go, crispy kelp. And like, Will Smith as a fish is going, get it, kelp? Get it? And I'm like, what do you mean? I do. I get it. This is your world. It shouldn't be a pun to you, motherfucker. It's a pun to me. You don't know that we have crispy cream. What in the world? <laughs> I, and I love that apparently like the entire city shuts down when a shark is in the vicinity. Yeah. Like what? No, no, this is not okay. And then it, it get, for me, it's a lot. Like I said, it's the background jokes <clears throat> like the sushi yeah. joint, like the fact when Lenny gets thrown through a billboard, it makes the outline of the Jaws poster. That's yeah. funny. When, when the octopus uh, assistant to uh, Don De Niro shark starts pouring him tea and it like doesn't even make the cup it floats up out and yes, like just like right. dissipates see that shit that shit makes me laugh because that's background yes humor. that's that's where like you're actually thinking of like okay we, they can still hear De Niro talk but i'm paying attention yes to this. or or like when peter falk is you know standing there as the old shark and he farts and i'm like i i'm loving this but <laughs> I think this is one of the worst scripts of an animated movie that we've reviewed in the history of binge movies. And it's, it's, it's and it's especially odd because this is, this is a specifically, this is a movie for children and it's about yeah. degenerate gambling, domestic violence, oh. involuntary homicide, dated racial references. The humor of this movie can boil down to like the, like bad deaf, Def comedy jam shit where it was like that's been parodied mm. where it's like white people eat their sandwich like this black people be eating their sandwich like this bah, bah, bah. <laughs> that's what it is it is like two hours of that I'm like what the fuck I, I'm, I'm very confused with how the conversation went where they wanted to make the fish the jellyfish uh, some of the killer whales make them look specifically like the actors yes. or even or even like a caricature yes. of them so over the top to make them resemble them now i will acknowledge the the almost like like 
squinty-eyed uh, quality of Renee Zellweger pre-surgery. Yes. It, I, I find that cute. It was cute. I'm like, oh, that actually looks like Renee yeah. Zellweger. And then, you know, like, oh, the eyes on Angelina Jolie. Like, I can tell that's yeah, Angelina right. Jolie. And the smile. And then you look at Will Smith and you're like, geez. That Will Smith, that, that fish, he be clowning. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> horrible. It's That face is fucking terrifying. It's pretty. Oh, also, can we get into the subtext of Lenny as having like species dysphoria? Like the implication there is definitely like <laughs> that. Maybe he's trans. It's <laughs> trans species. I mean, I don't. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's that or he. Like the fact that he says like he's a vegetarian. But I'm trying to think when. When did we? Like, I mean, if they had shown like maybe like a flashback moment where it was too violent for him to kill something because he watched his dad tear some other fish up and that caused it. But for him to be all like, no, I'm okay, dad eat the shrimp. No, it's fine. Right. Like, I don't know. There was, there was not enough information for him to go. But, like, but, but De Niro I, I goes like, I don't care how you identify or how you dress. You're still my son at the end. Like that's the turnaround is like, and I'm like, what do you mean? Don't yeah. care how he dresses. He's a fucking shark. What is the implication here? What, what, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, no, no, no. I, okay. I get yeah, you, to yeah. your point. I don't think they ever really nailed down. No, like the story is really, if we're being honest, it's really Lenny's story. Right. Right. Cause it's shark no, no, no. tail. Yeah, it is. So the yeah. movie should have, he's your protagonist. The movie should have been focused on him and Will Smith's character. If he has to be in this movie at all, which I don't think he does, but if he had to be in the movie at all, He's like your Timon and your Pumbaa. He's a side character who has, he's got his own little B story, but it should not revolve around a degenerate gambling fish who's in too deep with the sharks, literally the lone sharks, get it? And like bets on seahorses and loses money and takes his quasi girlfriend's <laughs> family heirloom and hocks it for cash. And to pay off a debt and then doesn't, he just doubles down on his gambling addiction. And then a shark is murdered in front of him and he lies about it to make himself rich and famous in a fish town. Like, why Why is that the plot of this movie? Shouldn't it be about a shark who's like, wants to change his stripes? Like, I don't want to be violent. I am a vegetarian. I'm I'm a pacifist. You know, all this sort of stuff. They, they, they tried to kind of like, you know, switch it up and not make it again. You're right. So much about Lenny, but it becomes this almost like cliche tropish story of like, ah, we're going to outs the liar. The liar's going to like, you know, be presented as like who they really are because Will Smith in this movie is not a no. hero. Like he's a jerk. Yes. He's a jerk. He's a hundred percent a jerk. And if you take the title shark tale, I mean, it's, it's again, it's another pun. It's a play on like, it's a fish yes. story. It's a whale. Of, it's a whale yes. of a tale. And it's, yeah, it, it should have been a more focused thing on Lenny. It should have been Will Smith helping Jack Black. And, and for selfish reasons, and then Will Smith eventually has his change of heart, and, and then he helps Lenny reconcile his father, and blah, 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 and Lenny has to stand up to his old man. It's Lenny's story. You're right. It should have been a straightforward, relatively innocuous, heartwarming tale about identity right. and this in and and making your way in life to determine who you want to be, determine your own identity. And because that's also what Will Smith's character needs as well, right? He's so desperate to fit in and to be popular and to be successful and to be wealthy. Right. He needs to accept himself for who he is. And you, like, you could keep uh, so many of these elements in the movie 
But to then yeah. go, well, it's really about this asshole fish and all the horrible shit he does and all these people. It's like, I, I don't care. The the seeds are planted there to actually have people kind of almost be sympathetic yeah. with him because he even said like, you know, growing up, I was proud of my dad. He was, you know, he was washer of the month every single month, like every single year, every single time that he was working until he died. Like that was his job. And it wasn't until he brought that to other people's attention, which it should have been known. Yes. But when he brings it to kids attention and they're like, ha ha, your dad watches whales. Like, sorry, that suddenly made you not proud of your yeah. dad that didn't make that suddenly shifted everything yet you still went to work there yes yeah i i don't know I, it it should it has a weird deviation of the focus it's and i i i think again they're, they're trying to cash in on the finding nemo yes. phrase yes. where even in nemo it's not nemo's story it's marlin's yeah, story yep 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 you're a good point yeah, the difference is so, that works, though, because when the movie opens, it opens with Marlon's loss. It opens with the yeah. death of his entire family and his wife and the fish equivalent of crippling of his youngest son, the lone survivor of this massacre. And so when that son eventually goes and he becomes overprotective because of it and he loses his ability to just relax and be happy and because he's so anxious. Mm -hmm from trauma and so when that little fish goes missing then marlin has to go find him and and all this sort of stuff so they they at least set it up here it's you're exactly right it looks it's like well we can do that we can do a fish story and it's not really going to be about the shark it's going to be about the fish and but it's like you don't understand what made that movie work at all you just it's like you took a, a really really terrible script and just set it underwater like it just this could have been anything I, I think with the the uh, the success and the creativity of Finding Nemo is that you still employed humanistic and like real world aspects like they had traffic, yep. but it yep. was like it was colorful fish inside of a kelp like traffic yeah. cone yeah. or whatever. And but here it's like actual lights and sounds and a DJ. Equipment <laughs> and yeah. and yes. and the fish have like hands. Yeah. I, it's you're yeah. they're trying to humanize it way too yeah. much and they they don't need that i mean it's 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 just like back in the day watching like fox and the hound like i don't need copper to like you know suddenly like open a book and read i just need him to be friends with todd that's all right right yeah yeah so what we're saying is this is this is an idiot's finding nemo <laughs> right it's for it's like it's like finding nemo for people who don't understand subtext <laughs> it's like there guess what we got no subtext in this movie it's all text it's all right there there's nothing deeper it's all surface level uh below surface level three out of ten worst of the week i hated this movie hated it hated it uh yeah yeah i i gave it I might, I gave it a two out of five, so that makes it a four out of ten. But it it might go lower after this conversation. And the, the thing is, <laughs> we're, we're obviously not like coming at it years later. This was a beloved movie. And years later, we're looking back at it. This movie was successful, but it was not well regarded. It was this was like this movie stinks. And no, it, I would love to be able yeah, to go it, back and go. Well, in hindsight, or you know, maybe our perspectives have changed. And actually, it's pretty charming. No, it isn't. We were right back then. The critics are right. You were right, audience member. I feel like I remember seeing that, and I thought it sucked. You were right. Chartel sucks. 
there, there were moments where like, I genuinely, I like, I genuinely had a chuckle, but I think it was more like, because, oh, thank God, something is like breaking this, this nonsense kind of like drone noise. Like it's, it's a noisy just this, movie, just like noise yeah. constantly through. And I, I, I remember distinctly when I saw the list, when you sent it, I was like, oh, Shark Tale. Like, do I remember anything about Shark Tale? I remember the one joke. You're so poor. Your baloney don't even have a first name. Like, that's the only thing I remembered from the entire film. And that, and that was it. That was it. <sighs> okay. Well, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> uh, Wolfgang Peterson, of all people. Wow. Uh, it's time we're talking yeah. about Troy, which currently has a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. This will be the greatest war the world has ever seen. We need the greatest warrior. You're waiting for me. I won't ask you to fight my war. You already have. The loser will burn before nightfall. Before my time is done, I will look down on your corpse and smile. A Wolfgang Peterson film. This film is not yet rated. May 14th. It was directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who was not thought well of by most of his principal cast. Uh, so the screenplay by David Benioff. Yes, that David Benioff, who either saved or destroyed Game of Thrones, the television <laughs> series. I'm not sure. It's quote unquote based on quote unquote the Iliad <laughs> uh, by Homer, of course. Uh, it's a triumph return of Brendan Gleeson, last seen in Min- uh, Mission Impossible 2, not Men in Black 2. Eric Bana, last seen in Finding Nemo, or ironically. Orlando Bloom, last seen in Pirates of the Caribbean. Diane Kruger, last seen in Glorious Bastards. Brian Cox, last seen in X2. Sean Bean, last seen in Fellowship. Rose Byrne, last seen in X-Men Apocalypse. Peter O'Toole, who hated Wolfgang Peterson, uh, last seen in Lawrence of Arabia. Garrett Hedlund, last seen in Tron Legacy. The film was released May 14th, 2023, on a budget of $175 to $185 million. This film made $497.4 million at the worldwide box office. Homer's Iliad minus all the good parts. Watch the Trojan War like never before, with Brad Pitt making an ass out of himself, showing his ass, and waging war over a piece of ass. That's, that's great. It's true. Uh, as I was watching this movie, I recognize there's two generations of actors at this time in this film, and arguably maybe three, but there's really two main generations of actors, and and subsequently two tiers of actors. You have mm. John Shrapnel, you have Brian Cox, you have Brendan Gleason, who are acting. And then you have Eric Bana and Orlando Bloom, who are acting. Nothing against those men. I've seen them in other things and they're pretty good. But the trifecta of Eric Bana, Orlando Bloom, and unfortunately Brad Pitt in this movie, they stink in this film. Orlando Bloom is dreadful in this film. Eric Bana is not that far behind him. And somehow, still, yeah. Brad Pitt is worse than both of them. I've never seen. I've never seen this movie. I never watched it. Had no interest in seeing it. But I thought, okay, again, here's something. I remember this coming out. It's 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 constantly streaming. So I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, sword and sandals, kind of the Iliad. This could be interesting. 
Um, let's see what we've got here. And, you know, at least maybe the battle sequences at least will be interesting, you know? And, um, no, uh, this movie just stinks. I mean, there's just no other way around it. And then I look at the females of the cast and I'm going, is this the, is this a cast list, at least on the female side, but, but even on some of the male side of people who almost made it of people who were almost the next big thing. We have Rose Byrne, Saffron Burroughs, Diane Kruger, and Garrett Hedlund. And I know Rose Byrne has had a career, but she did not have the career that we thought she was going to have. Right. Mm. Saffron Burroughs was supposed to be the next big thing. Fucking disappeared. Now she does TV, but she went from being like, we're going to rocket her to the moon to disappearing. Diane Kruger, kind of the same thing, right? These people have continued acting, but they, none of them rose to the level that we thought in 2004 they were going to, or at least the studios thought they were going to. And that is like the perfect summation of this movie where it's like, it's a bunch of people, older actors who are doing a pretty good job with the material they have. Then everyone beneath them is either terrible or forgettable. And the movie did not go on to esteem. It did not go on to gain an audience after this initial success. It did not go on to become a classic. It's just a movie that exists in the same way that Saffron Burroughs is just an actress who exists. (laughs) She's nobody. Nobody gives a shit about her anymore. And nobody gives a shit about this movie anymore. And the thing that was most shocking to me about the film, other than Brad Pitt, um, was James Horner's score is like intermediately very modern, at least for 2004, it's very modern, epic Hollywood cinema. And all of a sudden there's this crashing in of like 1950s sword and sandal. (laughs) Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, is this a fifties? Are we watching Spartacus? Are we watching Jason the Argonauts? Where the fuck? It's so inconsistent. Every single like, like almost like jut of brass needs to have like a horizon. Yes, just in the background, so you can just like I don't know, so the sound can carry you to the at, shore. At any moment, <laughs> I'm expecting stop motion Cyclops to come over the hill. Or skeletons, which would have made it. Or better. skeletons to rise up by the ground because, like, it's like, okay, this is or obviously this is Gladiator, kind of Lord of the Rings. James Horner's kind of doing the modern epic thing that we talked about, and all of a sudden it's like, and now from my childhood, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> like, is King Kong showing up? What the hell is this? I got one piece of enjoyment, Drew, out of this entire movie. You want to know what it is? Mm. There's a scene I could not fucking believe it rose Byrne is laying digmatized the morning after she's got one leg. <laughs> she's got they go to bed we see Brad pitt's ass which is fine the next it cuts to the next morning Brad pitt's up and getting ready and putting his armor on and washing the dishes doing whatever he's doing in his tent and Rose Byrne has one leg strewn off the bed, both arms out, is is like her tongue is hanging out of the side of her mouth. She looks absolutely 
road hard and put away wet. She looks like dick drunk. And I'm like, what in the world? And the guy walks in and looks at her and goes, whoa. And I was like, what the fuck is this? But it's like, oh, yeah, Brad Pitt, he's the best war. He's the best soldier. And he's got the best te- penis anybody's ever had. It's like the movies wants us to think, this is the greatest guy who's ever lived. I'm like, no. No, even Brad Pitt said, has said that about the movie. He's gone on the record to say, like, he's like, was disappointed. And in particular, he's like, Wolfgang was great to work with. Who really, I'm disappointed in myself. What he said about himself is he's like, I couldn't get myself out of the center of the frame. He's like, my own ego he, wouldn't let me get out of the way for the movie. And I really regret. He's like, he, he, by the way, he did not want to be in this movie either. He, he jumped off of a different project, broke a contract, essentially. Mm. And so he was oh. obligated contractually to make it up to the studio and they wanted a big star in the lead role and they forced him to do the movie. And I don't want to say you can tell, but he's not the right, he's not the right fit for this film. No. And I mean, in his, and his emotions are not, they're not there. We almost have like three fourths of the film before we actually get like true emotion from him. Now, I don't know if this is just supposed to be like, this i don't even want to say stoic i just want to be all like this like laissez-faire kind of attitude of uh achilles going to war it's all like all right fine let's go did he die cool i'll be in my tent that's exactly what it is that's 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 the attitude all the way through until peter o'toole comes in and just says like let me bury my son like and that and that's a great moment with Peter. Well, because well, that's what and, I mean. Peter O'Toole and these that generation, they're fucking acting. You know, the, the the script may not be very good, but they're getting something out of it. That older generation, right? They're they're right. not just fine in this movie. They're very good. Peter O'Toole is very good in this movie. I remember I watched the movie with some friends, and they were all like, "Wait, I don't understand. How did the king just suddenly like make it into the enemy camp?" And I just had to look at them, and I'm like. Okay, well, first off, it follows the Iliad like to a T, almost to a T. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, this is actually what happened. He snuck into yeah. the camp. He even said, he's like, I know my own kingdom better than like some, <laughs> some people like coming, some Greeks coming onto my right. shore. But that moment, him begging for his sons, you know, to be returned to him. And Achilles in the Iliad is so moved. This is why he agreed like 12 days. We will not attack you. I promise you, no Greek will set foot near yep. Troy. And it's it's neat. Like the, the the slight nods where it does respect the Iliad, I do enjoy. But when you don't get any type of emotional uh, like spectrum out of Brad Pitt for the majority of the film, it's it's interesting and it's a weird it's weird aspects that almost like spur those emotions. Yeah. Like when Patrick like when Patroclus dies. And you're all like, you just killed his cousin. And you're like, eh, some scholars say cousin, some scholars say lover. Why don't you well, decide okay, which so one's that's actually the, better for the story? That's what I, was getting, I was in a very crass way, Drew, I was going to ask you, was he fucking his cousin? It seems like the only thing he really gave care about was that very handsome, pretty young boy who was with him. <laughs> so, so if you actually, if you look at, if you look at the Iliad and you look at, um, different historical like uh articles and and uh notes like that patrick like they're they're of no relation mm. 
So there is there is no relation. They made that for the film. So now all you have is like a young ward uh, dying gotcha. in battle who he's trying to be his. He, he wants to be his hero. He wants to be Achilles. Yes. He wants the fame, the glory. He he wants to kill someone. He wants again. I think he wants the, again. You want someone to be proud yeah. of you. There's a lot of things that actually connect a lot of these mm-hmm. movies that we're going mm-hmm. over. Um, it's in pride. Pride is one of these things that overall for 2004, for what we're covering, pride is a huge problem. Yes. For a lot of these characters. Whether and the screenwriters know just, it or not. <laughs> whether they know it or not. And, and for Patrick and for Patroclus, like, unfortunately, his pride got in his way and uh, and he died for it. And apparently I think it's weird how like one kid dies uh, and that just like stops the war or that stops the mo- the war for that moment. Um, yeah, but a lot of kids I died also, in those wars, but none of them were as hot oh, as yeah. Garrett Hedlund. No, no. And that's that's definitely in the reason yeah, why. Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> hair. Beautiful head of hair on that guy at that time. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I definitely got the feeling of like um, the the way you would say it now is like you know it's like or the way you would have said it a couple of years ago, I guess would be like you know like uh, bro, is it gay to go to war to fight for your child war who you're <laughs> who looked who hero worshipped you like that? It definitely gets a feeling of it, the sense is like definitely like. The movie doesn't really, the movie doesn't want us to walk away with any implication that there's any sort of love between these two. You're right. And I don't even mean in a sexual way. It's like, it's like, well, it's, you know, it's gay for two men to care about each other. So we, he's got to be his cousin. You know, that makes it okay to give it shit. I think it's all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's also kind of weird where like you have some of these big war epics and you have moments where, (sighs) Yeah, maybe these powerhouses of history, like maybe they swung on both sides Bingo. of the fence. Is that especially gonna, like, in ancient anything? Greece? <laughs> and in ancient Greece, sorry, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go pop in my director's cut of Alexander. Yeah, there you go. And uh, and does that change anything? No, it changes, changes nothing. nothing. And so it's yeah. I I I enjoy like I said like the nods to the actual Iliad. Like even before. Brad Pitt goes off to war and he goes to he goes to Troy. You have his mother slowly walking through the shoreline, picking up, you know, little seashells. And you're like, oh, I get it because his mom was a senior. Okay, she's in the water. And there's I I, I like that. Is the movie hurt? uh, Is the movie hurt by the fact that it's it's 99 percent demythologized that they took any kind of otherworldliness out of it? Does it matter that 99% of the people who are going to watch it don't realize it's demythologized? <laughs> Man, you're asking the, t- the hard questions. <laughs> you know, I, and, and I, boy, there's, there's I, just like, there's something about two guys on a podcast, you know, that can get pretentious <laughs> really quick. But I, I am always stunned by what general audiences know and don't know. Agreed. Like, I just assume that... I don't assume less of people, I guess. I assume that, well, we all kind of, we all know what the Iliad is. Maybe we haven't read it since high school, or maybe we never read the whole thing, but you at least know the cliff notes, you know, you at least know, you know, and it's been in media and it's been, you know, it's, 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 and it's been an archetype of a hero's journey that's been used, you know, over and over again. And elements of it have been taken for 
non-adaptations, but just sort of that epic hero's quest over and over again. Um, and I think that you're, I think you're right. And you would probably know this from what your actual livelihood is. Those like the answer is no, people don't know those things. The average person doesn't have that information. The average person isn't sitting and watching hundreds of movies a year, reading dozens of books a year, uh, they're not, that's not how normal people live their life. <laughs> no, agree. No, agree. It isn't a bad thing. No. And that, and that's not a bad thing. And that's not to like, you know, I, like devalue someone Correct. for not knowing. Right. Right. Not right. at all. Like I, I think it's that very easy though, to be such a hardcore common. movie person, hardcore, you know, uh, literature person, hardcore, hardcore, anything, whatever your interests are yeah. that you forget what casual, just people who are living their life, you know, hardcore sports fan. If you're a hardcore sports fan, you, you lose track of the fact that the average person just can't rattle off stats for like 1960s football players or whatever. Right. Or, right. you know, like I don't know Wilt Chamberlain's, you know, shooting percentages, but somebody who loves basketball probably does. So especially of a certain generation. And so, yeah, so it's like I, I'm conflicted in that because me as somebody who, you know, whatever, is a is a loser, uh, <laughs> I'm like, you know, where is the mythological aspect of this? You know, be, and I, here's why I'm thinking that. We said at the beginning, this movie is greenlit because of The Lord of the Rings, which is high, high fantasy, especially, you know, we've credited on this show, the Lord of the Rings of really turning the tide, no pun intended of allowing general audiences. I think it's a combination one, two punch of that and Harry Potter that really shifted where high fantasy was kind of the thing for theater kids mm-hmm. to it being mainstream to now you could be anybody and want to be at Hogwarts. You could be anybody and know the deep lore of this, that, whatever. And you could be anybody and be into, you know, elflings and this, that, whatever. And it, it, it spurred more normies to use that term to get into cosplay, to get into fantasy, to get into exploring more literature, to read more books, to do all this sort of stuff. It mainstreamed a big chunk of like, the last outliers of nerd culture got sucked into the mainstream. So this movie is being made. I think, you know, it's probably in development for much longer, but somebody was willing to put $150 million or $180 million behind it because the Lord of the Rings made a billion dollars. But then the choice was made. Let's take all the fantasy out of it. And that's odd, right? That's where it gets odd because if you're trying to clone the success of it's almost like the same thing we say with um, fucking shark Tale. you're trying to clone the success of finding Nemo and you stripped everything story-wise out of finding Nemo that connected with the culture. And they are doing the same thing here where you're, you're, you've got the battles and you've got the sword and the, they got the horses and we got the whatever, but your source material has inklings of, mythology to it right it is mythology and you are taking the mythology out of it and like no we're gonna try to tell you like we'll reference it but you know but or this is this, this is how it really happened but it isn't <laughs> so yeah. why why it's, did they cut why why was this decision made to make the movie this way do you have any guesses no i i think they probably just wanted to literally 
kind of cash in on not so much the fantasy aspects of it, but more the epicness. Mm. Like you want a big battle, we're gonna give you a big battle. You want to see something bloody, we're yeah. gonna give you something bloody. But even then, even after uh Troy, you had movies come out like The Immortals yep. and uh um, Gods of Egypt. <laughs> Gods of Egypt. 300. Right, right, right. Where they are bringing in like certain aspects of the mythos yep. and there's a little yep. bit of magic and the and like okay in like years years later but like percy yep. jackson yep. 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 like you have this magical aspect where i think people are right you're getting the lore you're getting a superhero quality without it being a superhero film. interesting so okay so is you think okay is that the difference that by the time some of these later adaptations start coming out now we're starting to see a resurgence in superhero movies and so people are going oh well we have something that's kind of it's it's superhero adjacent or we could make something and kind of make it a superhero film you think that's what it is less you so can, than yeah. chasing lord I, of the rings it's i think so mm. i i think i think you're still trying in the background maybe as like a consolation prize trying to go for like the epic yeah. battle and the epic movie but if you can later on integrate little bits of magic where people don't need to question it all they need to do is go like oh okay gods i get it all right we're gonna we're gonna make this right. work and i don't know I, I i also think it's a it's a shame where you have people in movies where it's still like the epicness of trying to do like a great war film and you have people like brian cox like again most movies that like we're, we're reviewing i remember very very faintly the main thing that stuck out to me was Brian Cox in the one scene where, you know, Agamemnon's brother gets stabbed and falls down and he's just like, he stares back and there's that moment that, yeah. and, he just, he, and he just screams. He just like, that's his yes. charge. His scream is ah! like that stuck yeah, with yeah. me for decades. And I, and I loved it. I love that moment. I love that moment. And I think he plays Agamemnon to a team. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah, cocky. Yeah. He wants what yeah. he wants. And I think the only downside is that, like, he's killed by the wrong person. But that's just... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, I think that, that older, like I said, that older tier of actor are fantastic. They just so happen to be in a different movie than everybody else. And I'm going, okay, I either, <laughs> like, this either needs to be leaner, sleeker, we're going to make a modern action movie for lack of a here's sexy ass brad pitt and sexy ass garrett headland and they may or may, not, may or may not be lovers but they're all oiled up and they're going to fucking war and we're excited for it and he's fucking rose Byrne, and i'd love to I'd, I'd i'd love to live in his sandals because rose Byrne is a-okay <laughs> right and that's either what this is right it's either sort of like a testosterone fueled gladiator even more than gladiator was or it is a like true historical epic where it's a little bit more grounded and more serious and we spend more time with the characters. We understand the geopolitics or it's mythology. They kind of ended up doing a little bit of everything and then kind of serving nobody. The characters aren't, I, the yeah. characters aren't served well. The battles are not interesting. They're, they're big, but they're not interesting. They're not shot particularly well. They're not, I, don't, I never get a, a, the, the the same charge, and I, I'm not a long term Lord of the Rings fan, by the way. I just I watched them when they came out, and I thought they were fine. It's just in doing this show and revisiting them that they're they're really mm -hmm. stand, they 
they really stood out to me as what they really are, which is like a high, high level of that type of movie, probably the pinnacle of that type of movie. Um, yeah. So, but it's like, man, there's a lot of battle sequences in Lord of the Rings that I really give a shit about. And it's all, and it's mostly because I give a shit about the people who are in those battles. True. And I don't give a shit about any of these people. I don't, I, there's <laughs> nothing in this. I don't connect with Achilles at all where we're introduced with them. He's like, that's why your name will never be written in the history books like mine. And his mom's like, well, you know, you could, but if you go to that battle, you're going to be the greatest. It's like, I understand. I get <laughs> it. You know, but I know I get it. She's lady Macbeth in his ass. And I understand all that, but it's, it's <laughs> give me something to care about. I don't care about any of this. And because of that, I can only give it a five out of 10. It's not horrible. It is not like a, a, it's not terrible, but it is not good. <laughs> That's my number three for the week. <laughs> so Troy, for me, for what it is, a lot of the battle sequences, but then there's faults that I can't necessarily overlook. It gets a three out of five, but it still takes third. So three out of five would be one out of ten. So six, six out of ten. Okay. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh fuck! Meet the Fockers, which has a thirty-nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes from Universal Pictures. We're family now. Good icebreaker. Comes the mother and father. Make sure Moses doesn't go in there. They have a cat. Of all comedies. JJ, no. The cat can flush. Meet the Fockers. Rated PG thirteen. Meet the Fockers was directed by Jay Roach with a screenplay by Jim Hertzfeld and John Hamburg. The story by Jim Hertzfeld and John Hamburg, based on the characters created by Greg Galena, Mary Ruth Clark. Try to return of all of these people because we've seen them all before. Uh, meet the parents for sure. And I think this might be the triumphant debut of Barbara Streisand. I don't think we've covered Streisand before. Um, this film was released, uh, Dustin Hoffman, oh, I haven't seen him since Hook, but this one was released December 22nd, 2004 on a budget of $80 million. It made $522.7 million. Again, we said this when we did Meet the Parents. I can never imagine a world ever again, I could be wrong, where a comedy would make half a billion dollars. I just don't ever see it happening again. Uh, Greg Fokker has found his place in his father-in-law's circle of trust at the cost of abandoning his principles and his parents. Your parents are awkward. My parents are awkward, but I love you. So deal with it. That's family. <laughs> and one movie, Jack said that I have nipples, Greg, can you milk me? And in the next movie, he's being milked. Do you get it? Uh, touch the breast, Greg. Do you get it? <laughs> touch my breast. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> These movies require people. <laughs> These movies require people to behave in ways no people would ever behave. Okay, let's start with a positive. Because uh, I do have a, I do have a couple positives. I, I do sigh, but I will say I, I sigh, but I like this. Oh, movie. Jesus, Drew. Okay, so <laughs> positive number one is the idea of, let's start with the original. The idea of what if you're meeting your, but you're, you're meeting your significant other's parents. It's always an awkward thing. Mm -hmm. It's always a scary thing. It's always an intimidating thing. What if every sure. possible bad thing that could happen for you to make a bad first impression <laughs> happened to you <laughs> and every sure. attempt to try to corral that just made it worse, infinitely worse. Yep. 
And it's kind of like taking, it's sort of literalizing the way that oftentimes you feel when you are making a bad impression, right? Or you feel like you're making a bad, or you feel like you're not making a good impression. Like it kind of is an externalization of all that, like shame and yeah. No matter what you, no matter yes, what you can, self consciousness, it's, it's never yeah, working yeah, out. It yeah. literalizes it. <clears throat> okay, that's that's the first one. Okay, that's fine. Whether you like it or don't like it, like at least it's like I understand why that movie was made. I get the the spark of that idea. Mm-hmm. This film mm-hmm. is. Well, now, even if you do finally make a good impression on your in-laws or future in-laws, eventually they got to meet your parents and your parents are fucking weird. And yourself, now you're self-conscious, not about yourself, you're self-conscious about your parents. And that makes sense. That is a, the next logical place for this to go. And then of course we literalize and externalize it. And it's not just that you perceive your parents as weirdos. They are fucking weirdos or at the very least Hmm. are the exact sort of people your in-laws will think are weirdos. And that's fine. And I think that that casting Dustin Hoffman and Barbara Streisand was great. I think Hoffman and Streisand have amazing chemistry together in this movie. I think Hoffman is doing, I love, I love him. I, he's, one of my favorite actors of all time. And oh, yeah. I, which is like, you know, whatever, but it doesn't make me a genius to say Dustin Hoffman's when he, one of the goats, but he is, he's, he's so good at these kind of guys that he would play later in his life. They're very different than what he played earlier in his career, but these sort of guys who are, there's like a, there's a warmth. There's a genuine genuineness quality. under the surface, right? He's, mm. he's not a guy pretending to be genuine. He's not. A, he's not an actor who's acting genuine. He's a actor who, regardless of what he's doing underneath it, there is a genuine warmth. Part of it's like this twinkle that he has in his eyes. It's charisma, mm-hmm. but he knows how to mm-hmm. work it so that you know that this character, no matter what he's doing, no matter how cringy he is truly has the best interest of his son in mind oh, and yeah. loves his oh, son, yeah. loves his wife. Streisand could do the same thing. She's got that. It's charm. And they're so fucking charming in this movie, despite the stupid horseshit this screenplay has them do <laughs> that. I don't, here's the other thing. His parents are not idiots. They're highly educated, yeah. very intelligent, very intuitive people. And, and, and what's interesting though is like, what they do with his mom, and I, maybe it's because she's like with a therapist background, but Streisand does this thing where I don't know if it's in the script, but when Greg expresses himself to her about how, well, you're embarrassing me or this or whatever, or here's what I'm concerned about. She does pitch down. She will like modulate herself and go, okay, I hear you, honey, and whatever. And Hoffman doesn't really. And that's like an interesting contrast between them. And so it ends up where as this thing gets crazier and crazier, Streisand starts to feel kind of more and more like a real person and often starts. I don't know. It's just a subtle thing between them. No, I, I, I think you're right because you, she's getting away from like the excitement of her day to day. And she needs to get a little bit more grounded with her future to yes. the in-laws. So she gets, she gets away from her yoga group. She kind of, she gets away from the nightly whipped cream yeah. play and no cow- no cowboy hat. Cowboy hat is yeah. off the door. And um, when she has to be human, yeah. 
and and I and I say that in like a delicate yeah. manner, but when she has to be more human and she uh you know she's she's going to Pam and and going like, Well, you're practically glowing. Yes. Wink. Yeah. And then like, you know, we should wear this in case, you know, you know, even if you get a little bloated, you can yeah, wear yeah, this. Yeah, or, yeah, you yeah. know, when she when she goes to uh to Dina and she's all like, Oh, but Jack, you know, he would love this thing. Like you just you you get the yeah. ears and then she she does become more personal. Yes, yes. Yes. And and I and I think that is an endearing quality of Barbara in as Roz in this in this role. And but even even Hoffman as Bernie, the again, that twinkle, that sincerity when they un- unveil the wall of Gaylord. <laughs> yes. And yes. and he's just all like, he's all like, there it is. And then like you just see De Niro going like it's a wall that? of mediocrity <laughs> to him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. But him, he's all like. Is like that's my son. Like I mean, just that that yep. moment where you kind of look at him and you're all like, "Damn, he's like really proud of that." Like I mean, th- th- it could be like a twig that Greg found and brought yep. home. He's gonna stick it on yep. that wall because because that's his yep. kid. And I and I find that to be in a very endearing aspect of of Hoffman in this role. I, same. And so it's like I look at this cast and I'm always kind of like, eh, ambivalent towards Ben Stiller. I don't. He doesn't do anything for me. I don't find him funny. He never have. But I'm like, okay, you got Strayson, you got Hoffman, you've got obviously the returning players. Uh, Terry Polo was given nothing to do in this movie. Uh, <laughs> she's not even a character anymore. But it's like everybody's game. Everybody's here to play. I don't. I don't. De Niro's not sleepwalking through this movie. He's trying. Mm. We can't give them better stuff than this. Like we can't give them better than like that baby knows how to sign poop. Ha 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 poop. I, it's like, we like, we're just, it's baby. like low hanging fucking jokes. You have the, you have this ensemble of heavy hitters and the best you can do is like put a tit on Robert De Niro and go, isn't it funny? No, <laughs> he's a I, male I, nurse. I, I do you get like, it? Yeah. His name is gay. Yeah. Gay's funny. Yeah. Male nurses are funny. It's like, no, it isn't. <laughs> There's nothing funny. They about they, that. they try they try so much with humor that's supposed to be co-aligned with who the character is. So when you when you have Jack being like you know CIA operative, everything needs to be like by the book, and it works the way it should. This like this is why you know it's a mold from you know Pam's sister's breast. Like this is because it's the boob that the kid knows. Like sorry, any animal that you feed a bottle to doesn't know what nip is what like also, it doesn't matter to your they're point gonna, if jack is such an exacting sort of like again a cia sort of person i don't right. believe that he would ever do that i actually don't believe that's true to his character that's like way out there eccentric behavior i i don't believe he'd be like let me get a 3d print of my daughter's tit and put it on that's so odd I, yeah. that doesn't feel true to his character now the the rv that he gets that feels true to his character. Sure. Um, the one thing sure. I got to laugh at him is <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> this is low hanging fruit. It's when he wakes up in the middle of the night, he comes and he's got Greg driving, you know, and he sits next to him and he goes, <laughs> shake a leg. He, he goes, yeah, yeah. Would you like a cup of coffee, Greg? And he's like, yeah, I guess I am getting kind of tired. And he starts screaming. <laughs> get up and get Greg coffee. Shake a leg woman. And then he's like, oh no, this, and they like, he's mortified. Oh no, I'm just joking with you, Greg. This is, this is, uh, um, 
soundproof. And then like there's just the the beat that he takes where he's like kind of chuckling himself and he goes, but, but you know, never to talk a woman to talk to a woman like that. Right. Craig, that's not appropriate. Like that is true to that character. Right. Of like, and I think it's like one of the first jokes that you actually see him like truly, truly crack. I mean, like there's the, there's the humor that he tries to bring in the yes. first film where he's all like, where he does say, you're like, well, I have nipples, Craig. Could you yeah. me? I, but this is like, I think it's legitimately like the first. It's a joke joke. joke. And then we, it's a joke joke. And then we're seeing like a little bit of the dynamic between his marriage with uh, Dina. Like, you know, she sits there and she's like, muskrat, muskrat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where it's just, it's odd. And for me, it's, I, I think I got a little bit more into this movie than I probably should have because so I was I've been rewatching like all of Will and Grace. So seeing uh, Blythe yeah, Danner, yeah. who plays Will's mother, I'm like, ah, you're back. OK, but uh, it's you're right. Like it's a it's a weird kind of relationship with the parents. But again, you have this juxtaposition between the two, which you're supposed to, I guess, expect and respect. But I think that one downfall to the film because of the juxtaposition for the humor, you have a little too much shtick. That that's maybe what I'm getting at is it, it gets it to shtick like, okay. The premise of him having sex with the housekeeper, losing his virginity to the housekeeper could have been a funny. It could be funny. It, rem, it reminds yeah. me of something almost like out of like the bird cage or something like it's like, <laughs> so off kilter but do i believe that dustin hoffman who is an eccentric and he does they give the character an out because when he's doing capoeira he's like yeah i gotta do capoeira because i'm like i'm wound a little tight right and if i don't do exercise i can go whatever like i can go too far with stuff he's got too much energy and so i guess that's the idea is that he he does have he does have that competitive nature he does have that like he is kind of too much right and he's mm -hmm. they've built this life in this lagoon in the middle of nowhere in florida where he can just kind of be an eccentric down there fucker yeah he can just kind of be an eccentric down there and then just work off all of his you know anxious energy or whatever so then you when when they throw when with the in-laws arrival throws bernie off you know he ends up whatever spiraling out of control okay that, that that's you can, I can make that excuse for the character, but I do not believe that at the dinner where he's first meeting the, fa the other family, he's going to be like, well, I was just getting ready to tell them about the time you lost your virginity to the housekeeper. That, that is to the point where you're like, no, like what, even if you have free and easy parents yes. and you have a mother like Roz, who is very open sex and positive. you need to be honest yeah. about your sexual, yeah. yeah, sex positive. Like, I don't know any parent that would do that. To and not kid. the parent, like, not the parent who has a wall of honoring the kid. And here's all of his trophies and his medals right. and his particip participation awards. That guy is not going to willfully publicly embarrass his child. That's where it's yeah, not consistent I, I did, with the character. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, yeah. that, you said it better than I did where, okay. You give me these characters. You're giving me Jackie, you give me Bernie, you give me Dina, you give me, what uh Roz, you give me all these characters. Okay, I believe these characters. It, the interaction between them could be really funny. And then in the middle, what you give me is shtick. Where it's no longer 
consistent with who you've told me these characters are. It's just whatever's going to get the gross out gag or the whatever. Oh, here's, here's, here's a, you know, his circumcision, what's left from his circumcision. And we kept it. We preserved it. Oh, it's in the fondue. Like, it's just like, and I know that like part of that is early two thousands kind of gross out cringe humor. It's a carryover from Farley brothers and, you know, that sort of shit from the late nineties, but boy, it just doesn't fucking work for me anymore. Cause it doesn't feel, it feels at odds with, the movie that they're making. Yeah. yeah. So go and, ahead. What, 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 yeah. so t- t- no, tell no, me I what mean, else you, I, I'm not trying to talk <laughs> you out of liking the movie. Cause if you, no, 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 but no, what no, do no. you, what did, I, what I, worked for you about meet the Fockers? So I think what worked for me is that, um, so I, I really, I, I like Hoffman's character where there is that genuine sincerity and it might be. So for me, it might be on a, like a more personal mm. level, uh, like recently. So like recent, like, so my, my father passed away back in oh, April. Wow. And so, um, so like seeing Hoffman in this genuine sincerity where he can obviously like show off that he's loving and he prays proud of his kid. And like, he would, you know, do anything to try and like save things and rectify. Like when Jack's trying to leave and he's laying in front of like the RV and he's like, I'm not moving, Jack, I'm not moving. I'm not going to do this. And then, you know, when Jack eventually drives away, there's the line. I don't know if it's just cut off in the commotion of everybody yelling, but you hear Dustin Hoffman say like, Jack, Jack, come back. I'll go deer hunting. With you. I'll go deer hunting. <laughs> yeah. And you, you have everything that like he's trying to do for his yeah. family, even when he is, uh, you know, trying to talk to the cop, which I think is hilarious. And then you have families eventually coming together. Yeah. And Jack, I think, is starting to realize, like, okay, maybe I am a bit over the top. Maybe I am, you know, doing this for, like, my reasons, not what I think is actually safer for my yeah. family, which is kind of a disappointment in retrospect, because after I watched this, I watched Little Fathers. Oh, and wow. It, and, it's not like, and it's not like Jack tones himself down. So yeah, little Fockers, I, man. I th- wow. <laughs> I, I kind of had to because everything like I start, I watched the first two. I'm like, I yeah, just gotta yeah, yeah. It. but, um, but yeah, I think, I think there is an, a neat aspect where I don't care what family you can come from mm. and what, what walk of life. I think you can see the love of a parent yeah. in this I'll, film. I'll tell you this. And, um, I yeah. would love to be the sort of dad that Bernie Fokker is in this movie. Right, right. And I would love like, to I mean, have you that. Your kid I'd no love to what. have that sort of dad, and I would love to be that sort of dad. Right. So now I've got a story for you that is um, not as heartwarming as what you just told. My- <laughs> so <laughs> I've watched Meet the Fockers twice this year because I mm-hmm. covered uh, Meet the Parents earlier, and so I watch the trilogy i was like well i gotta watch the next one and i totally forgot that i would eventually get to it anyways because uh, i was like <laughs> and i and I, I i saw this one in theaters i saw uh i think the first two in theaters definitely saw this one in theaters and then this, the third one i never saw and so i'm like well i might as well just fire up the third one so i've seen the trilogy like you have this year and i tweeted about it earlier in the year and i tweeted about it again now and i posted about it on social media about how like Bernie Fokker is like an inspirational figure for me <laughs> that I'd love to be wearing loose fitting, breathable fabrics 
somewhere in a tropical location drinking wonderfully tro tropical citrus drinks and ha having a spritz and you know just living this sort of wonderful life where money doesn't seem to be a problem and Apparently. yeah getting, <laughs> getting very leathery in the in in the florida sun and just enjoy my life and having you know you know, a big breasted, uh, dark skinned, uh, housekeeper walking around the house in booty shorts that my kids apparently sleeping with and I'm fine with and having a sex positive wife. And I, you know, and I did it like in a hyperbolic comedic fashion. And shortly after that, I didn't put it together until it happened again. I started getting these very strange <laughs> suggestions in my social media algorithm oh no <laughs> like what the fuck is this and it's all of these like millennial thruples it's all like oh i'm in a thruple that that means bubble you know that whatever all the different meme formats and it's all of like these like um I just called like yacht swingers, Florida yacht swingers <laughs> like, like, and like lifestyle. I don't know what this fuck this means and all this oh, sort no. of like, <laughs> tropical swinger shit. And then it kind of died off for a while. And I thought, God, that was, what the fuck is wrong with this algorithm? So I saw this movie again. I pretty much tweeted the same thing out, you know, it's like, wow, I really want to be Bernie Fokker in his loose fitting clothes and, you know, whatever. And this, that, whatever immediately I started getting more swinger stuff. And so I sent it to a friend. I go, are you getting this? Are you getting like all of this, these like swinger memes, all these upside down pineapples and shit in Florida? And he goes, no, <laughs> now I feel like a real pervert. I'm like, why am I getting this? I promise you, I'm not see this. this is, there's nothing in my cookies that would direct the algorithm to feed me this. Right. And, He's like, well, we have reached that sort of yacht swinger phase of our life. And I'm like, is that a thing? He's like, yeah, it is. There's this whole like millennial, like go out on a catamaran and <laughs> wife swap kind of thing that's going on for millennials now. I'm like, what the hell? I don't, that's a trend I was not aware of, but it's a trend. Apparently they want to make me aware of. And I realized the algorithm is reading my desire to be Bernie Falker as basically being a 30 being a florida swinger just being part of that pineapple community practicing capoeira so you can soon be cast in oceans there 12. you go <laughs> <laughs> and, and drew in all reality is just that i really wanted to be a loving father <laughs> or have a loving father yes That's the problem with the internet. See, you say, I love to have a sex positive partner in my life and wear loose fitting clothes. And it's like, you want some swinger oil? You want some lotion for your orgies? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not an orgy guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So four out of 10, it's my uh, second worst of the week. <laughs> Meet the fires. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this, this also gets a, uh, a four out of ten, um, but it uh, it moves up to uh, number two. Okay, wow, wow. Okay, now here's a big shocker for me. The movie we're about get, getting ready to talk about is a movie that I hated for a very long time. I don't hate it anymore, but I don't like it either. 
it's in his, mm. t- the day after tomorrow, which currently has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. We found something extraordinary. You recall what you said about how polar melting might disrupt the North Atlantic current? Yes. Well, I think it's happening. The hail, the tornadoes, it all fits. Nothing like this has ever happened before. At least not in the last 10,000 years. Day After Tomorrow, May 28th, rated PG-13. Day After Tomorrow was directed by Roland Emmerich. It was screenplayed by Roland Emmerich and Jeffrey uh, Nash- Nashmanoff. Uh, it's a story by Roland Emmerich. It's based on the clo- coming global superstorm by Art Bell, of all people. I'll get to him in a second. And Whitley Stryber. It's trying for return of Ian Holm, last seen in Return of the King. It's trying for return of J- uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, last seen in Spider-Man Far From Home. Trying for return of Dennis Quaid, not seen since the days of Enemy Mine, I believe. It was released May 24th, 2004, on a budget of $125 million. The film made $552.6 million. Dennis Quaid outruns climate change to save Jake Gyllenhaal from the next ice age. Baby, it's cold outside, so there's no time to waste on love. <laughs> I love your, I love those. I love your one sentence. <laughs> They're fantastic, man. We could take uh, Drew. You and I could take this act onto NPR. Let's do it. <laughs> we uh, we could not do the orgy parts, but we could everything else mm. that we could get on there. Although it. I have an inkling that the NPR crowd is also an orgy crowd, but that's just me. At one time, they're just they're just a little quieter about it. At one time, Art Bell was America's highest rated late night talk show host. Uh, he had a famous show, just Coast to Coast AM. I remember picking it up on a little red radio I had as a kid. I was supposed to be asleep at night. I'd, I'd have a flashlight and I'd get my little radio and I'd go under the blankets and I'd dial it in. And I, the two things that I would always want, listen to at night was. Um, Bob Larson, who's a grifter exorcist. I don't know if you've ever seen him. <laughs> he goes around like casting no. demons out of people and whatnot in, in holiday in uh, conference centers. Oh, okay. <laughs> he had a radio show where he was talking about how, you know, your children would be possessed if they listened, watched He-Man or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But he had a late night sort of vaguely evangelical conspiracy theorist radio show. Uh, back when that didn't, threaten our nation state when it was just like a weird quirky thing on AM radio. But the other guy was Art Bell and Art Bell was just pure UFOs, pseudoscience. Again, back before that had the threat of destabilizing the minds of millions of Americans to the point of, you know, domestic terrorism. Uh, it was just like this funny little thing. And he always said of himself, well, I'm an entertainer. It's all about entertainment. And he didn't really seem to believe any of it. And the show was rife with all kinds of hoaxes where people would call in and, there's a famous uh, thing where a guy called in and claimed that he was working for area 51 and he was calling from there and they were going to come and get him. And then the line got disconnected mm-hmm. and then the show went off the air early. And so it was, it was real kind of pro wrestling sort of, you know, blurring the lines what, between what's entertainment, what's real and all this sort of stuff. Um, but it was very, very popular. And many, many unhinged people took it as their true source of this is what's really going on in the world. Well, he wrote a book full of one of these conspiracy theories, which is essentially the idea of climate change. Now, I will say it's back in the old times, uh, conspiracy theorists used to believe in climate change. So that was a good thing. 
uh, what was like, what if climate change happened in a day? What if there was a super storm and the entire global climate completely changed in like 72 hours? Rapid environmental transformation. What if the earth was completely re-terraformed? What the fuck would we do? That's the basis of this movie. The movie never really extrapolates beyond that. Uh, it doesn't make any right. sense. It's not very well made. It is cut and paste from Independence Day and Godzilla and every other Roland Emmerich movie he ever made or will ever make, apparently. But it gives us, I think, the closest it, we would ever get to Jake Gyllenhaal as Peter Parker. A <laughs> nerdy science probably. kid who is yeah. lovelorn over the girl who likes the bad boys <laughs> on a school field trip to a museum. I'm like, well, what the, the fuck is the it? <laughs> Is he Peter Parker? The rich hoity, <laughs> the rich hoity toity kids going for academic to Yes. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting film. I, I do love the coincidence that the movie originally was going to debut five months after Greta Thunberg. Um, had been born. <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know. I don't know if that works for anything. <laughs> But I'm, but I'm loving these breadcrumbs. <laughs> That's some real some obtuse humor just, there, but I fucking love it. That's my funny bone, and you just tickled it, sir. Some people see the Virgin Mary in I see Greta <laughs> tomorrow. I see her face in every snowdrift. I see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit um, the couple at the television network or the weather channel or whatever the fuck that is ktla or whatever who are like the whole scene of them like sneaking to have sex on the couch and the, the music is so like, like, like the movie is played like like the weather is in the building stalking the like, this is a slasher film all of a sudden why is the weather a slasher villain as the janitor is just like slowly yes. mopping up and he's just like pokes his head out and he's like yeah, it's so weird. It's like, oh my, you know, it's like, seriously, it's like, what are we saying that like the climate is the killer that's coming to get them in the halls? Didn't make any sense, but well, it was obviously, really fucking funny. I mean, I mean, obviously this is, <laughs> this is that precursor idea uh, for Shyamalan to do the happening. Like it's the planet coming. For yes. Us. Yes. Um, I do we know what Greta thinks I of just, the happening? Has she ever commented publicly on it? <laughs> I don't know. I have no um, idea. I I think it's uh, funny where again it, it it's more humorous to me because again I I've been like rewatching Will and Grace. So now we've had the mother, and then we've had uh, Tim Bagley, who was the news reporter who got plowed by yeah, the billboard yeah, yeah, of the yeah. lady. He's also in Will and Grace, and I'm just like seeing faces, and I'm like, oh. Okay. Are you going to make it all the way to the Will and Grace reboot, or are you going to tap out before then? I'm already on. The <laughs> <Will and Grace laughs> uh, okay. An invading alien army targeting city centers and critical parts of society, buildings, structures, historic monuments, makes some degree of sense, right? They've observed our planet. 
Sure. They know sure. where they, they know where these critical points on the planet are. If we take out these key city centers, these capital cities, these famous cities, these well-resourced cities will sort of, you know, cripple this planet. That kind of makes sense. So UFOs hovering over the White House, blowing shit up. Okay, got it. Tornadoes. <laughs> Targeting Los Angeles monuments. Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, Los Angeles monuments to obliterate them with a... The Hollywood sign is gone. It's completely gone. Capitol Records. Capitol Records. The, the idea of like the, the mean-spirited tornadoes coming down and wiping out... The, all these landmarks is unintentionally comedic. The, no, what's worse about that is that after the tornadoes are over, you have an like announcer on the radio or the news station saying like, it doesn't seem like anybody was hurt. And I'm like, no, right. So many people died. <laughs> are you kidding me? No one was hurt. No one seems to be hurt. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> the little boy with cancer. <laughs> Did you see? Did you see? The doctor and me, did you see? Airplane 2, which is not good, would sort of take this, oh, there's a little girl and she's sick on the back of the plane. And because that was from like the Irwin Allen and, and that ilk disaster movies, they always put a sick kid in the movie. There's always a sick kid who's got some kind of a fever and, oh my God, what are we going to do? And this season, I also covered uh, Kids in the Hall Brain Candy and they have Cancer Boy in mm. the movie. And he that and his name is literally Cancer Boy. Hi, I'm Cancer Boy, and all this sort of stuff. And my mind immediately flashed back to Cancer Boy from Kids of the Hall. There is no hope for me. This whole subplot about well, this boy is we can't get in touch with his parents, and he needs this chemo. And look at his bald little head over there. I thought this is so pandering. It's can you can you read that? No, but I remember the pictures. My mom used to read it <sighs> for me. Is she coming? And you're like, heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak. And I, I think one thing that, so that's like the, that's like the real humanitarian kind of yeah. moment in this, yeah. in this film. And again, I don't think people are going to care uh, less about the film if you, if you don't have it, but it's nice to have in there. But also for like, all of the things that are happening worldwide, it's hitting major landmarks. Yes. And again, this is where people are all like, okay, I know where I know where New York is. I know where LA is. I've seen this too. But my brain also thinks, uh, no, this is happening also in like rural yes. Iowa. Where is my entire pasture of like frozen cows yes. stuck together? Like I, I wanted like, again, some real world aspects because Something they don't necessarily address, and I'm sure some people got like their cows inside safely, some other livestock. But as as Dennis Quaid had said, like this is becoming another ice age. Um, you just lost like ninety, like eight percent of your livestock yes. worldwide. Yeah. Like, how are you possibly gonna come back from oh, this? Oh, oh, like, so effectively. Yes. So okay, you know what I mean? I, I, okay. That's that. That is my biggest problem with this. The movie is yeah. there's like you know, Mr. President, we have to evacuate the northern half of the United States, and, and he's like, well, what about that? We can't just abandon the people who are there. What about the people who are there? And Dennis Quaid goes, they're just going to have to ride it out. 
ride what out the ice age it's already too it's already too late he's like yeah it's already too late they just have to write it out and even at the end of the movie we're going to send helicopters in and we're going to be able to try to get as many people out of new york as we can to what end because the food supply the food chain is gone it's destroyed right it's gone it's gone even when you're even when you're watching from space from the space station and like oh I can see land masses now. And like, it's actually green still like it's still green. Now. I mean, like if we're trying to, I don't know, maybe guesstimate that it was so cold that it flash froze the plants in a state of like, I don't know, completely keeping it as is. And then like defrosted and everything is okay again. But uh, no, sorry. Like, er like everything should be everything (laughs) North of the equator is dead. Right. Right. And everything north of the equator is now frozen. It's basically Antarctica, right? Indefinitely, indefinitely for millennia. Um, more than half of the world's population is gone. Sure, all of the sure. food supply is gone. Uh, both both on the the meat end, you know, the 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 agricultural side from plants and 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 farming and grains, and also from the animal husbandry side of it it's all gone it's all gone so much fresh water gone clean mm-hmm. water gone um mm-hmm. to w- why why continue living <laughs> like i just it was like no, oh boy we made it through you made it through what and it, like that's the other thing is like you made it through this this storm i understand the storm is the start of a new ice age. And also theoretically another one of these storms could occur at any given time and could now affect the other half of the planet. Like they, right. they like the end of this, the true end of this movie would be the real, if you really wanted to make this movie and say something or whatever, it would basically be like two thirds of the planet is dead. And the other third is probably going to die. It's over. Humanity is over. Life on Earth is over for probably another million years, two million years. We're done. Like, it's just, it's, but I know that's fucking bleak for like a summer blockbuster, but this juxtaposition between, um, like the opening with like, uh, the pilots freezing and falling out of the sky. That feels like something out of an X-Men movie from this era. Right. Of like, and that, and that's the one thing that there's usually like one thing that sticks with me yeah. in a movie. It was, it was the, helicopters crashing and they're going like do you know how cold it has to be for gasoline to freeze and i'm like okay so that's the one thing i remember and that was negative 150 degrees fahrenheit and whatever and they're like uh, yeah the guy flash freezes and i'm like okay that's like you you half-ass expect a mutant to be down there and he down the planes and he's causing the storm because this is 20th century fox so it looks like an x-men movie um Mm. but then like tonally it actually feels more like a 1960s Irwin Allen goofy, you know, the Poseidon adventure rides again, <laughs> sort of disaster towering inferno sort of movie where it's a lot of the beginning of the end, the mantis. Yeah. It's a like, lot of like yeah, known it, actors and some sort of catastrophe and there's the sick kid. And it's like all of those cliches and all of those tropes. And in the end, we're all going to like band together and we're all going to make it through and yada, yada, yada. I don't buy any of it. 
Uh, but I will say, I think that this is like the epitome of a laundry film. I think you <laughs> look at the spectacle until you get bored. And then you go back to looking at your mantis and folding them up and then you're done. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. I think that you, if you understand that it's cold and there are things that are going to be problematic and especially if it's like freezing, freezing cold and people are being frozen just by walking and trying to escape New York. And I understand movies got a movie, yeah. but, but timber wolves or wolves in general that were raised in captivity Correct. Right. are not going to suddenly become feral again. Right. And and like go run around. But see, you know, wolves are Arctic to- creatures. <laughs> so now that New York is the Arctic, the wolves have taken over again. And movies. Come <laughs> <in>. <laughs> so. I also don't think if it's so cold outside <laughs> that you freeze instantly just from like the wind chill. I don't think even if you're wearing Gore-Tex, you can sleep in just a standard tent. No, no. Well, no, no, no. Yeah. The, them being outside where it's supposedly so cold that. I mean, maybe these tents are like. They look know, pretty like fucking Everest. flimsy because they're just I, flapping they're, in the breeze. <laughs> it's like gasoline froze, motherfucker. You're not going to freeze. <laughs> and he and they're like inside and he's taking. Yes, off like they're his, taking like, layers off. Thermals and he's like drinking coffee. And I'm like, no, like, I mean, maybe it's like Everest quality, but we clearly saw the fact that like doors were freezing. That's over. right. And what are the rules I, of the ice? Of, That's what I need to know. Right. You tell me what the internal logic of, of your movie is, right? Yeah. And if it's so fucking cold that that steel is flash freezing and gasoline is flash freezing, gasoline that's been heated by an engine, right? This isn't just like ambient temperature gasoline. This is heated gasoline is that's going through a fucking internal combustion machine is flash freezing in the air. I do not believe that Dennis Quaid's eyeballs are going to be fine if he lifts up those goggles <laughs> for a second. I don't believe they're going to be okay with the fucking goggles on. The goggles would freeze yeah. to his fucking face and rip his skin off when he tried to take it off. They really should because any type of like, you're right, any type of temperature should be counteracted with... Uh, if it's negative 200 degrees, there's no... Yeah, close freezing There's to no equipment on earth that could handle that that... that, that Dennis Quaid just has hanging up in his closet. I'm sorry. I don't believe it. Also, I would love to know exactly how a Russian oil rig is somehow like just coming through New York's harbor. Does it make any sense? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't and, oh, okay. And here's the other thing. You show me Dennis Quaid and his buddies. Okay. Let, let's say I, 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 I suspend my disbelief and I believe <laughs> That the, these Patagonia jackets or Columbia or North Face jackets these guys are wearing, they're special Arctic expedition gear that they've developed for Antarctica, and it can it can it can keep them alive for, you know, a period of time, not indefinitely, but it it'll keep them alive for a period of time. Okay, fine. I will allow that. They're specialists. They're experts. I will allow that. Okay, and like you said, movie's got a movie. Jake Gyllenhaal wearing a pea coat and mittens and like newspapers on his feet jumping around <laughs> outside in New York, getting onto that ship. He's definitely dead. They don't have any of that gear. They're dead. They're dead. Also like 
how is the medicine inside this frozen ship? How is the how is the grass the grass the glass not cracked and broken? Correct. Like how how is the medicine even still viable? Right. Like if it's supposed to be that's a, that's another thing. A, a, it's supposed a, to be stored like a, at certain temperatures. And right. also, if it's like a medicinal pathogen, nope. It's I dead. could Sorry. yeah, because it's penicillin. I could not for the life of me figure out. Okay. They're like, oh, we got the penicillin. Okay, I, I believe that. There's an entire infirmary in there. You should be taking absolutely everything you can carry out of that infirmary. Every aspirin, every p- pair of scissors, every piece of gauze, everything. You should, if if you are somehow capable of going outside, getting the ship, and not fucking freezing to death in your pea coat, that's fine or whatever. They should be scouring that ship. For every available thing, for every available thing to burn, is there oil? Are there oil drums in that ship? Because eventually you're going to run out of fucking books. You're going to you're going to want to have open <laughs> barrels of fire in that fucking library just to survive. Like, and I and I I know they're trying to rush it because the wolves are yeah, coming on yeah. the boat and it's it's causing a dilemma. But also, again, you just gotta you gotta smile and nod and go and roll with it. But how, how the fuck did the wolves get on the boat? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> and that, like the key to one of these movies is to be entertaining enough that when the audience member is watching it, when they, those questions come up, they just go to themselves. Nah, it doesn't really matter. Like you think it and you go, yeah, 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 yeah. it doesn't yeah. really work, but man, this is, this is, this is good. This is fun or whatever. This we're, we're just, we're, we're just going to go, go with, with it. it. And I, I think they kind of like learned their lesson where, later on into uh 2012 like things were a bit more plausible mm. like they actually took the science seriously they the the government has been secretly building these arcs and they're ready for right, it right 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 and I, I i think they learned their lesson from like the end of the world kind of things and we've had a multitude of these different style of films where it's you know been armageddon and deep impact and yada 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 but this one it just seems like hmm well what if it what if we just like threw a Yahtzee board outside and, you know, we took the dice that came up face first. Let's go there first. Yeah. It just, it, yeah, it's, it's, this seems to like, I hate to say like, I don't think Roland Emmerich thought through this very hard <laughs> because he's Roland Emmerich, but I really don't think he thought through this one very hard. I think it was just, it was this idea that it's, it's a, it's an interesting idea for a disaster movie of like an ice age. Like that's, climate change okay great i got you that's interesting that's a great place to start but to like try to it's the illogical attempts at logic that make this movie Mm. not work you either guys gotta go hey man the moon is the fucking moon and it's fallen and it might be hollow there might be a spaceship in there and it might be a hologram for aliens (laughs) and that's our movie or you got to go, okay, well, you know, they Roswell's real and we've been studying their technology and they've come here and they're here to our resources and they're attacking our city centers. And like independence day is like a dumb movie, but it's got an internal logic to it in and of, in and of itself. Sure. And the sure. characters in the movie seemingly serve a purpose other than Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know. Honestly, I don't even know what purpose Jake Gyllenhaal serves in this movie other than to be something for Dennis Quaid to go on a fetch quest for Like, what is his point? Yeah. I mean, saving the marriage. Um, oh, I guess that's right. Yeah. 
I, I mean that I mean that's kind of it, but like I don't know. It, it's weird because like you have this weird little subplot where the the boy has to prove himself to the dad, but then he also is really in love with the girl who's also on Akadak. And I what the the weirdest mo the most cringiest line in this entire thing is when Preppy Rich Boy, while they're in the library, the girl walks off and he notices Hall like eyeball her and he just goes up to her and he's all like, dude, just go tell her how you feel. Why? <laughs> Why? This is not necessary. Yeah. This is not a necessary moment at all. No, it isn't. I give it a six out of 10. It's my number two for the week. <laughs> it's my second best. Yeah. I, I also gave it a six out of 10, but it goes number four. It's time for a recap. Coming in dead last for me is Shark Tale. Three out of 10. Abysmal. Coming in at number four, Meet the Fockers. Four out of 10. Just this side of Abysmal. Uh, very charming cast. Not very charming jokes. Coming in number three, Middle of the Pack. Troy. Five out of 10. It exists. Coming in number two, The Day After Tomorrow. Six out of 10. Real dumb. Iron your shirts to it. Uh, coming at number one, Ocean's 12. Not as good as the first, but still very enjoyable. It's like going on vacation in Europe, which we we should all aspire to, but most of us will never achieve thanks to our poverty. Enjoy the wealthy people enjoying what's, what's theirs in life, which is Europe. 8 out of 10. Uh, Shark Tale for me at number five. Uh, you know, honestly, you probably should save your money and actually go through an actual car wash. It might be more <laughs> beneficial. <laughs> Don't go through a car wash at the start of the next ice age, though. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. And then uh, Day After Tomorrow, it takes number four with six out of ten. Uh, you know, it's it's an interesting concept. I, I don't think it was really executed well. And uh, you're right. I I think I would have enjoyed it more if it was an X-Men movie where they were trying to bring down the planet. Oh, um, there you go. That could have been interesting. Uh, Troy takes number three uh, with a with a three out of five. It's it's just fun. I, I I think it's a fun little war movie, but there's so much wrong with it that it it, it has to take middle ground. Um, and of course, you know, obviously a highlight is Brad Pitt's ass. Always, um, <laughs> always a highlight. Uh, Meet the Fockers takes number two for me with uh i think i i think i bumped it up to a four and it's i i think it's heartwarming and endearing the shtick gets a little old but luckily you can kind of pin a rose on it at the end uh with the with some good quality love and we just have to have oceans 12 at first with a uh three and a half out of five so seven out of ten for me it's it's still fun you get heisty but you kind of realize that there's too much of that, like, ah, gotcha, yeah. um, over-the-top moments. Would Troy have been better if instead of Rose Byrne being digmatized, it was Garrett Helen in that bed? I think it would have been more believable. All right, Drew, when you're not here at Binge Movies watching mediocre films from 2004, where can the fine <laughs> folks at home find you? Where should they subscribe? What should they smash? And what should they like? Well, you guys can find the Real Fills podcast on any podcatcher out there. Uh, you know, just search for the Real Fills podcast up on Facebook and on Instagram. On Twitter, we are at Real Fills Pod. And uh, we would just love to fill your ear holes every other week.
Think about the movies you could have been talking about with me. The top five highest grossing films of 2004. The Passion of the Christ, The Incredibles, Spider-Man 2, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and Shrek 2. Instead, you got this Drek. <laughs> looking looking at the list of yeah. the top grossing films, I um, Passion of the Christ was the one that I was referring to earlier where I was like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it did, it did come out in 04. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised it's that high, but I'll tell you right now, I'm happy to not watch it again. I am surprised it's not higher. Yes. Really? I remember it making a lot really? of money and I'm like, I didn't think it would beat Spider-Man two, but for Jesus to take the L to the Incredibles, who's more incredible than Jesus? You can hear the story of the crucifixion and you can hear about the sacrifice, but I think it's so much more uh, obviously visceral visceral for people to see it. I guess that's the thing is you can take your small children to the Incredibles. You probably shouldn't take them to the Passion <laughs> Christ. Yeah. Could you imagine some mother in the theater going like, do you see that? Do you see it? Christ bled for that's you. That's because of you. Shut up and watch. <laughs> <laughs> that's because of you. You see that? That's because you touched yourself at night. <laughs> and let's just put it like this. Next week, I exact a little bit of justice against Paul from the countdown. Finally, things are going to come up, Jason. So you're going to want to tune in, dear listener, <laughs> next week. All right, Drew, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a long time in the oh, works. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure talking to you. Until next time, binge on. Binge on.